Amen. We're going to sing for those tears I died. Nope. We're going to go to 376. I know that my Redeemer lives. Nope. Wrong song number. Sorry about that, folks. Hey there. I'm um, with you, Larry. Come on. Set up the uh, like an activity for those who are ready. It's okay. set up ready. All right. Stay ready. Okay. All right, great. Thanks so much. You want me to shout this? We speak out. Uh, yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. 462. For those tears I died. when your brain's running through the lyrics and yet your song title's a little different. I know. Okay. Yeah, they're a little confused. <laughs> we stopped by Dunkin' Donuts and scrambling my brain. <laughs> this was 362. 362? Perfect, thanks. Perfect, thanks, Zach. Where were you, bro? Where were you? Where were you? I'm glad you're all here. I see you, so we should be here. Good. Amen. Uh, so, you know, as we enter into communion, a lot of times we, we open with song, and whether I can find it immediately or not is kind of irrelevant, um, but whether we're here just worshiping and really staying focused on God is, is really what's important. So let's let's bring our hearts straight before the cross, and let's, let's stay focused on our communion this morning here. 362. You said you'd come and share all my sorrows, and you said you'd be there for all my tomorrows. I came so close to sending you away.
that for those tears I died, your goodness so great, I can't understand, and dear Lord, I know that all this was planned, I Jesus, why me? And Jesus said, Come to the water, stand by my side. I know you are thirsty, you won't be denied. I felt things, but I wanted to talk about something that has uh, 
really meant a lot to me over the last year or so. Um, and the cross meaning rest and grace. Um, so by nature, and many of you probably know this, I'm more of a doer than a be stiller. Um, it's hard for me to allow myself to be still and not be focused on the next thing and chasing after the next adventure or the next project or the next whatever. Um, and I think that's one because I like doing a lot of things and I find it fun. But I think it also comes out of a fear of not being enough of just who I am, of I have to do more to prove my worthiness to other people. Um, not uh, fear of not being a good enough friend or a good enough sister or a daughter or employee at work or whatever. It keeps me always on the treadmill of life. Um, and I feel like I have a need to uphold the reputation of having it all together and keeping everything moving and doing and doing everything well. Uh, otherwise, it can feel like the facade can fall apart and then I'll be seen for just me, and that can be scary. Um, so I want to read a scripture that has really encouraged me in this front. Um, so I want to read Hebrews 4, 8 through 16. <clears throat> for if Joshua had, give, had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us there make, therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following the example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. We have one who is tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne with grace and confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Um, and this Scripture really spoke to me because um, I was struck by the idea of entering God's rest, like the idea of entering the Sabbath day more than just as a day, but like as a like overarching um, idea, um, and the ability to not have to work and to strive, but just to be as God was on the seventh day after He created creation. Um, and I think the ability to enter that rest is hard because it requires letting go of all of the work and the doing of things and our own self-righteousness that can happen in order to like justify ourselves. Um, I know that's what it's been hard for me too. Um, and so when I read the scripture, I think about um, because of the cross and Jesus' sacrifice, he completed all things and finished all of the work that needed to happen so that today I can be exposed by the word and by in front of God and also be accepted. Um, and so I, so today and every day I have the opportunity to approach God's throne as I am, not having to do more, but to know that I've been fully exposed, um, but also welcomed. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I had to share about communion today. Um, and now I'm
Dear God, thank you so much uh, for this opportunity to pray and to share communion together. I just pray that as we take the bread and the juice, we're reminded of the work that you accomplish on the cross and the rest that you call us into, both today and eternal rest in heaven. Um, I just pray that we are able to really appreciate the grace that you poured out on us and the sacrifice of Jesus that allows us to have this connection with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Shelby for sharing that and for helping us to draw close to the cross. <clears throat> Thanks all the uh, worship team. I, you know, I, I uh, cut you off. If you know, for the folks that are online, somebody forget, forgot to turn the audio on for about the first 10 minutes. You know, you know, so I missed some of that. It's my fault, but I'm sorry, guys. Welcome back. 
um, you were on for the communion and some of the other songs. Uh, I love the song for those tears I died and all the other things. Guy, thanks, Elaine. It's been really good so far. You know, I, I thought though at this time it would be good before we go into a message to spend a few minutes, spend some time praying, uh, specifically about the events that are going on in, in Ukraine uh, with Russia and. Uh, you know, we know we have we have many brothers and sisters, over 2,000 disciples in Ukraine, and many thousands also in, in Russia. And, uh, you know, I have personal friends there who are impacted, who are now refugees uh, because of it. And um, it's just on my heart. So uh, I, I'm going to read a verse here from Matthew 5, and then I asked uh, Larry and Zach, and, and I'll pray as well, I'll start us off, just to pray for a bit, to focus our hearts and our minds, and really ask God to move powerfully in this situation. Uh, Jesus says in, in Matthew 5 and verse 43, but you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own, if you only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let me pray. <clears throat> Father, it really hits our hearts as we think about our, our brothers and sisters and, and all of the people of Ukraine as they are in the middle of a war that really came on uh, through no action of their own. We pray that you would work powerfully to prevent loss of life, but that you'd work powerfully to bring about peace, <clears throat> that you would really protect the hearts and minds and souls, uh, not only of the leaders on both sides of this conflict, but of all the people <clears throat> who are impacted by it. Father, help us to really learn uh, to love our enemies, to love and pray for those who are persecuting us in our brothers and sisters and innocents around the world, but specifically right now in Ukraine. Well, I pray you'd bring about a resolution here, that you'd bring about just decisions even today by the leaders on both sides to stop and to allow just uh, peace to be uh, restored to Ukraine. Well, we love you. We're grateful to be here right now. Uh, in support of our brothers and sisters and all the people there. Father, we just really ask you that you would work a miracle uh, through this time and right now, Father. Uh, we love you. Uh, it's in Jesus' name I pray. Let's continue to pray. Lord God, you're an amazing God. Mm -hmm. You are full mm -hmm. of power and full of love. And I just pray that uh, in Ukraine today, God, that that power and that love uh, is all the more evident. Uh, that whichever side is, is in conflict and, and in turmoil and uh, aggressive toward the other, God, I just pray that people understand that they could, uh, they could find peace in you. Uh, you know, it's, it's like Peter said, we, we can pray for our enemies. I don't, I don't know who my enemy is, honestly, God. I just know that, um, I know that there's turmoil and it's going to lead to uh, tremendous loss of life. And it's just, and I, it, you know, we hold life so precious. You hold it so dear, and so, um, and so I ask for those who have uh, loved ones as soldiers, and for those who have uh, sons and daughters serving as, as uh, medical crews and uh, 
as those who are directing the actions of, of uh, the military. Again, we pray that you please just, um, if it's if it's to foil them and confound them, I pray you do so, God. And if it's to cause them to cease, then I pray that that's even the greater prayer, God, to uh, cease all all warlike activity, God. It's just we know throughout history, wars wars will happen. They will come and they will go and. Uh, most of all, God, unfortunately, it's the innocents who get hurt most. And I just pray that you please just um, uh, just step up some protection for everybody concerned, God. But I, I pray that in our hearts, as we sit here on the other side of the world, that we, that we refuse to become bitter, that we refuse to become uh, hateful toward uh, whichever side, God, that we refuse to allow uh, what's going on in the world to determine our joy in you. And I just pray that your will... Uh, will be still upheld above all things, God. I pray that uh, your your absolute design for life and for everything that that we're doing, even today, God, uh, will will also come to your will, God. And I just pray that peace uh, that passes understanding will just be present everywhere, God. And that uh, no matter who's trying to stir things up and who's trying to cause peace, God, I pray that everybody looks to you and that you are glorified in the end. Dear God, um, we come before you to, to praise you, God, um, and to just ask for your help for the people of Ukraine, God, and the, the innocent people that are, that are living in Russia as well, Lord, that we can uh, be with them through through the, the war that's happening, God. I can't imagine, you know, waking up in the morning in, in Burlington having explosions and bombs going off and, and machine gun fire and various things that I can't imagine what that would be like, um, but we pray that you can uh, help protect uh, the people, God, help keep the fighting away from the, the civilians as much as possible, God, and help ultimately uh, bring an end to the, the fighting as swiftly as possible, God. I pray that you can help the people that are fleeing uh, the Ukraine, God, be able to find uh, a place to stay, a place to live, and a place to have their needs met, God, uh, and I pray that you can use uh, the disciples there, God, and other people powerfully to be able to just come together uh, as your children, God, and be able to serve, you know, the people around them in need, uh, and to ultimately help find as much uh, normalcy as you can find through such a chaotic time. Be so hard because we don't have any control over it, God. But ultimately, uh, you're in control, Lord. You know uh, what's going to happen, God. We pray that you can work uh, on the hearts and the minds of, of the people in power, God, to, to help bring uh, a swift end to the fighting, God, and find a way to be able to move forward uh, with as little loss of life as possible. Uh, we pray that you can uh, just be with people grieving God to, to help work on people's hearts to bring them to you throughout the, the chaos that uh, may be going on around them God. We pray uh, that you can ultimately uh, be, be glorified in things that are happening God. Uh, we pray for the safety of the people in Ukraine uh, as well as in Russia God that there's people who are you know protesting 
going to war and protesting against the government and that carries danger in and of itself. Uh, pray that you can help protect those people uh, as well and you can help them please be heard uh, and ultimately you know, lead to a peaceful resolution. We come before you, God, we pray with you uh, and we trust that, uh, that you hear our prayers and that, that you are working throughout that, the chaos that is going on. But we love you, um, we praise you, and we do send you name. Thank you. Um, wow. So it, it just is a. I'm excited to be here. Uh, it's you know we have a number of people away and traveling uh, on school vacation. Uh, others who uh, came down sick in the last day or two, and some who were married to those sick folks. And we we said just stay home, uh, share the love with your family, be there. It'll be a great encouragement to them. And we'll see you next week. Be, hopefully you'll be recovered. <coughs> that will be great. You know. Um, Yesterday, I got the privilege of going to a wedding, you know, in Milan, Italy. Oh, wow. It's a long flight. You know? <laughs> well, it was really not. It was via YouTube, you know, and they were gracious enough to do it in the afternoon in Milan, so it was 8.30 in the morning, you know, in our living room. <clears throat> but uh, it was for uh, Brianna and David, and so Brianna Larrabee uh, is a sister that uh, we've known now since she was quite young, seventh grade or something. She's very similar in age to our kids. But it was in our daughter, in fact, we got to see Katie's blue hair because she was one of the bridesmaids. So she was literally in Milan, and it was great to be able to see that. You know, uh, Rihanna was a campus minister for a bit at Salem State, near where we all live, uh, where um, Brendan Knapp and Rob Meter went to college. Um, but it, it just, it really struck me, you know, as so many personal memories of times going back, you know, 20 years, 15 years, uh, in a relationship between the, you know, the families, uh, several of the people that I saw who were attending the service. It just really struck me that God really wants to be in our lives. God wants to be tied in. God wants to be really connected to us. Now, you remember two weeks ago I spoke about a myth, the myth of a well-rounded Christian. That doesn't mean it shouldn't be a goal. Um, but the reality is that it's hard to achieve. In fact, God designed it in such a way in 1 Corinthians 12 that each of us has got something different. You know, it's got something that really stands out. It could be our, well, to use the wording of, of Corinthians, our big feet or our big hands or our big ears or our big eyes or big nose, you know. Uh, I think those are metaphors in the scripture. I think Paul is not specifically speaking about having big ears or big feet or big hands. But, yeah, and Zach's totally on board with me on that. You know, and at the end I asked, you know, are you letting the Holy Spirit do the heavy lifting? Are you letting the Holy Spirit sort of do the hard work? Are you taking the time to let the Holy Spirit really speak to you? Because we know he speaks in a quiet voice. So you can barely hear sometimes. Sometimes we even just have to ask, God, what are you trying to teach me in this? What are you trying to let me know? You know, I was encouraged last Sunday. I wasn't here. I, I was in the Atlanta airport during church time, um, and I got to listen to the to the uh, to the live stream there. And I was really inspired. You know, just by what Steve was sharing about saying thank you, having a spirit of gratitude. You know, it, it struck me then just how thankful I am for the people around. I was thankful that Shelby had 
filled in to run the camera so I could watch it in Atlanta and not and not miss it out entirely. You know, thankful to obviously to Jeanette who uh, who helps helps me in so many ways, keeps me spiritual, keeps me focused, and you know, thankful for Steve Schaff just even sharing that message. Thankful for Mary and Maria sharing the welcome. Thankful for Ryan and killing animals or something was his welcome, as I recall. Um, for the great music from Larry and Lane and Kai and, and so on. And just for my kingdom family, for the people that I'm connected with because, uh, because of Jesus. People I wouldn't know otherwise. Um, and I've been reading a book about going from strength to strength. And one of the things that the, the writer talks about is the aspen tree. Everybody seen an aspen tree? They're pretty amazing. Around here, they tend to be smaller a bit. I always call them the clapping aspens because you can hear the leaves all sort of all you know, you know, clapping, uh, <clears throat> praising God, keeping you awake. Um, but you can think of an aspen tree as being a huge, powerful, individual, strong tree. But it turns out that's a bit of a misnomer. An aspen tree actually is tied into all the other aspen trees. And so they're interconnected. And so when one comes up, there's a root system that's tying them all together. And in fact, there's there's a stand of aspen trees in Utah that is 106 acres. And it has 6 million kilograms. I had to look up, that's 1,400 tons. So 1,400 tons is a lot of gravel to move of biomass. It's all interconnected. So they all appear to be a single individual tree, but in reality, 100 acres. 100 acres of trees is all interconnected and working together. Uh, or even the, the, the redwoods, if you've been to California, the redwoods, you know, they, they have very shallow root systems. They're a lot like the, um, the willow tree that was in the meter jar up in Georgia <laughs> that fell over. You know, unfortunately, uh, you know, Euro hadn't got to it with his chainsaw yet, so it didn't hit the house. But, uh, but uh, you know, it's, they, they're just shallow rooted. And so, but, but redwoods have been there 1,500 years. How'd it work? Well, turns out redwoods, when they go out, they find the next redwood tree and their leaves and their, or excuse me, their roots interconnect. They sort of grab hands, if you will, with other redwoods. And I don't know if they share food or not, but they certainly share connection. And it really reminded me about the body of Christ, you know. We're like that in the kingdom of God. You know, we get united with Christ in baptism. We get, we're crucified with Christ. He lives in us. You know, you're part of a fellowship of believer, believers that's worldwide with eternal depth. It goes on into eternity. It's worldwide in scope and eternal in depth. But you know, then you, you hear some of the statistics. Like at UCLA in 2018, just before COVID, they, they did a survey, asked hundreds of people, uh, how often do you feel like no one like no one knows you well? Because you're not well known. Nobody's in your life. And it was 54% of the people said always or sometimes. So the majority of people out there feel like they, they have no connections. They have no interconnection. You know, and, and for me, that can be a test. You know, I can think, oh, well, who do I know? <clears throat> I think it's, it's, it's an interesting devotion to sit down and say, who are my real friends? People I've talked with recently, deeply, that if I was really in a crisis, I could call. I could connect with them. Uh, what I've learned, I think women have more real friends. Men tend to have what we call deal friends. You know, I need something. I need somebody to, to help me fix my plumbing. I'll do it. <laughs> Hopefully it was more, he's more real friend than deal friend, but you get the idea. For guys, you know, we have our football friends, or we have... <clears throat> we connect on different things. 
And yet, really, you know, one thing I can come away from that is that, uh, you know, I needed to work better on my friendships. Okay, you know, that's quite, that's not a bad thing to think about. But I think it's more than that. To me, it really struck me is that the kingdom is about being devoted to the apostles' teachings. It's about being devoted to the breaking of bread. It's about breaking of bread. It's about being devoted to the fellowship and devoted to prayer. <clears throat> and so that, to me, it's like, okay, if I'm feeling that, I need to connect in to the aspen grove. I need to connect into the redwood stand of trees. I need to connect in uh, to the, the fellowship of believers to really be part of that. <clears throat> so I wanted to spend some time you know, today in uh, Matthew 6. Let's go over to Matthew 6. Let's start off in verse 1. never know how to wait. It takes me forever to pick the Bible. But I was already in Matthew 5, so let's wait. Be careful, verse 1, not to do your acts of righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So it's interesting. So we're going to go in more. This is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And it really struck me. So hold your finger there and just flip over to verse 33 which is probably familiar to a lot of disciples. It says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Okay, so verse 1, your acts of righteousness. Verse 33, his kingdom, his, his righteousness. Wow, so it struck me, well, there's, there's something different between my acts of righteousness and seeking his righteousness. And so I had to think for a minute, well, what's righteousness mean? You know, and I've been reading Romans, as some of you know, most of the last year and a half. So I'm a slow reader, a slow studier. But did you know this word for righteousness, and I, I will slaughter it, but it's, it's dikusine. So uh, the Greek is better than mine. Uh, it's not, not, a, not a big thing because mine's awful. But this word is 33 times in Romans, this idea of righteousness. What righteousness means is, let's call it covenant righteousness. So it's the sense of that God has, has decided to put you into a covenant. You know, there, there's other ones that talk about covenant in the Bible, where covenant is different, the word that, that's used, because it has a one-way connotation. So typically when Larry and I make a contract that uh, I bring the TV, he's bringing hot wigs, you know, we'll split the cost watching the Super Bowl, then that's just a contract. And if he doesn't come through, then I can say, hey, Larry, come on, dude. You said you were going to do this, and it holds it to him. <clears throat> with, with God, though, it's, it's one way. It's more like a will. Like, if I'm in your will, when you pass, I get your stuff, right? It's a contract that you made to me, and I got really nothing to do with it. Like, oh, they read the will. Look, Peter's getting, you know, like, <clears throat> getting that in the will. So it's a one-way thing. And so this is very interesting that God has decided that we get to be part of his kingdom. You know, it's in Romans, in Romans 4, verse 18, we'll go there, but it talks about Abraham. He just reminds us that Abraham, and if you're taking notes, Genesis 15, 6, that Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So he believed, he chose to believe what God was saying, and God credited to him as righteousness. You chose to follow Jesus, and you chose to get baptized, to be a disciple, and God has decided that you get to be part of his righteousness, part of his covenant justice. But you can be like the Jews of that time, and we have to be careful, he says, 
not to do our acts of righteousness, not to do our things to sort of prove that we're, we're in, in the group, that we're part of it. We have to go back to really seeking, you know, what, what, uh, what God wanted for us. Let, I'm going to turn over to verse 25. Just ask a question. So, you know, here it talks about pagans. So, it, you know, that's, that's a Bible word. Like, I haven't heard anybody walk around. Well, maybe they have, but it's pretty rare to be labeled a pagan. What kinds of things do modern-day non-believers worry about? That's a question. What do you guys think? What do they worry about? What do people who don't believe in God worry about? Money. Money. Okay, everything. All right. Status. Status, right? How to make the payments on their portions, right? No. Uh, How others perceive them. How others perceive them. Okay. Anything else? Worry about relationships, yeah. Worry about success. Worry about status. Worry about getting the next great job, or you know, where am I going to go on vacation? Maybe, you know, thinking about those sorts of things. And it's it's interesting here. He says in verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? The body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Has anybody been successful at worrying, extending their life? So we don't know until the end, but it doesn't feel like it works, right? It feels like it makes it. Medicine tells us that it's worse, right? But And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. That's how God clothes the grass of the field, <clears throat> which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. That struck me when I first read this years ago. Pagans, they don't run after porch payments. They are really worried about, what's it say? What we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, we're going to wear. Most people would say those are just basic necessities. Eating, drinking, clothing. Right? That's what, that's what the world is worried about. Basic necessities. Eating, drinking, clothing. Wait, but should, should disciples be able to worry about the basic stuff? Shouldn't we have to be concerned about that? You know, we're not, I'm not worried about my next vacation, you know, my, my, next, my next nice car. I, I, I'm just focused on just the basic things in life. Those are what I need to be concerned about. And Jesus says here, no, he says for pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You know, when I think about first, there's only one first. You can only have you know, your first kiss, your first date, your first romance, you know, your first time you read the Bible, the first time on and on, right? There's only one first. And then there's primary, you know, what's, who's, who am I going to take care of first, right? Um, and he says, seek first his kingdom and, and his, right, his righteousness, his, the relationship you have with him because he brought you into his kingdom. And so what I want to do is... Does that make sense, everybody? Does that jive with you? Does that ever struggle for you to seek 
his kingdom first? It's been a struggle. It is a struggle for me. You know, it's a struggle as I think about the Ukraine. I mean, you know, I, I trained to be a soldier. You know, my training is is to shoot people, to fight them aggressively, to destroy them. And yet, as I read Jesus, uh, that's not what Jesus wants me to do. Right. You know, it's a decision to decide, I'm going to love my enemy. And I think about, wow, you know, that, that's that's a great decision. Then I think about, I have brothers and sisters who are in that situation. Would I take up a Molotov cocktail and throw it at a Russian soldier? Oh, well, I, I don't see Jesus doing that. That's hard, right? What would, I, what would I do in that situation? You know, how would I respond? I, I don't know. So it brought me to start thinking about then this, you know, in Matthew 6. I want to just walk through a few of these and talk about sort of how we think about what's first and what's second. That makes sense. I was going to draw a line and say, you know, left and right. But you'll see what I'm saying here in a sec. So back to Matthew 6 and verse 2. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So you're giving, maybe in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Hypocrite. That's a charged word in English, right? It means, it means sort of like, I'm doing things to because I know that they're not right or they're not true, but I'm doing them anyways. Is that right? We got sort of close. In Greek, it was a little more straightforward. Just an actor. You're an actor. You're playing a role. You know. And so I'm playing a role, so I can put on the good story. I can play the role well. And that's I think that's to me that's defining for this my acts of righteousness versus seeking his righteousness. Is if I'm just putting on the role, I'm supposed to do these things. I know I should do them. I don't really want to do them, but I'll do it because you know Larry's going to ask me, right? Or I want to be able to tell Larry uh, that I did this thing. I, I was going back. I saw this hashtag from from the Tonight Show back from New Year's Eve resolutions, New Year's resolutions, and he says New Year's resolution is when you you take one hike and then you tell everybody about it for a month. Right? You know, the true hikers among us, the, the Steve Neffs, the Lions, and others, the, the Devons, Monicas, they they aren't that way. Like, they're just hiking all the time, and they just tell you about it. So it's it's not like they're playing the role of hiker, you know, and you can do that. They sell that at REI if you want to get the role of hiker. You can certainly buy that, but how about giving to the needy? It says, just do it. Don't talk about it, do it. It's really about doing. It's about being. It's not about the perception, the image, because it's God that's calling you to do that. It's God that's going to reward you. It's God that really seeks that for you. That's seeking His righteousness. Seeing that, I'm in that. I'm on that side. I've got a covenant relationship with God. I'm in His will. I'm an heir. I'm adopted. Pick your language. I can give. I can meet the needs of others. I can do that without shouting about it. Keep going. In, in verse 5, it says, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. <clears throat> oh, wait, there's that word again. Do not be like an actor. Don't take on a role <clears throat> about this. When you pray, don't, don't be acting. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go in your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen, 
And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It's a reward again. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard by their because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Do you really pray that, God? I want your will done on earth as it is in heaven. I want your kingdom to come. I want it to be so that people spiritually on earth are like they are in heaven, that they're like the aspen trees, that their roots are so bonded together that they really are one. Their unity is one. And I just don't want it generically. I don't want it for the kingdom universal. I want it for the kingdom that I see, for my brothers and sisters that I see uh, today in person or on Zoom or however we see each other. I want that kind of connection. I'm praying for that kingdom connection right now with my brothers and sisters, but with everybody else that God has called to be part of the Aspen be part of the kingdom. I want that connection. That's what I'm praying for. That I, I don't want war, not because I like you know do or don't like war. But I want it to be. I want it to go away because it prevents people from being able to connect to God. I want poverty and addiction and just other things in my world to be dealt with by the power of the kingdom of God. You know what he says here? He says in verse 14, if you forgive others. When they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Hmm. It just struck me a little bit sideways because I'm so used to thinking, well, I'm really striving to not sin. Like trying to identify the areas in my life, trying to grow and, and change and eliminate those sins. But he's really struck, he said differently. Peter, if you don't forgive other people, I'm not forgiving you. He doesn't say, oh, you're going to sin less, your sins will be better. He just says, no, no, this one thing, you've got to forgive people. Wow. That's hard. It's hard, isn't it, to forgive people, especially if, you know, if they've done something wrong to me, if they've hurt me, if they've sinned against me, if they if they've whatever. It's, it's hard but that's the kingdom. That's the difference between an act of righteousness and seeking his righteousness. Because God, remember, forgave us while we were still sinners. God loves us when we're still sinners. God knows we're still sinners. And to say, the, the thing I want you to do is just forgive each other. Yeah. Just help each other be connected. Because forgive when you don't forgive somebody, you pull them out of the aspen grove. You're getting rid of them. I'm blocking them. canceling you. And forgiving them says, okay, I know you're a sinner, but I'm going to pull you in. I'm going to have you be part of my family. I'm going to have you be connected with me. <clears throat> now, it's a similar way as we go on. Don't, do not store up yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Store up yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. You know, money is a big deal. You know, it, it takes a lot of our energy. We spend most of our waking hours working for it. 
for most of our lives. And yet Jesus says, you know, the, the key here is to work on storing up for yourselves treasures where they're eternal, where they last forever, and not not be so concerned, or not be concerned about storing up for ourselves treasures on earth. You know, one thing that someone preached a while back that struck me and says, everything you ever buy is going to end up in the dump. Yeah. Maybe not this century. Maybe it's really cool. You know, maybe it lasts a century or two. But there's very few things over the last, you know, five or 10,000 years. We, most of our archaeological digs are where? At the dump. <laughs> dump. You know, and so, you know, that's a thing to cross your mind. One thing I learned recently from the book I'm reading and from some other things is that your happiness, ever heard of a bucket list? Yeah. Anybody ever made a bucket list? Yeah. That's pretty cool, make a bucket list. What this guy proposes, the bigger your bucket list is, the less likely you are to be happy. Wow. Because the theory is that your happiness is what you have divided by what you want. So the more you want, the less happy you are with what you have. So part of the challenge is to think through and say, well, what, you know, what am I happy about? What has God done in my life? But then, what am I, what am I desiring to attain? Are those things that I really want, you know, that God really wants me to have? Are they, you know, to use the metaphor here, are they my righteousness? You know, things I want to put on my side of the deal. Or are they really God's righteousness? Are they God's desires? Are they, are they storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven? You know, he gives you two really great ones here in verse 22 and then verse 24. One about the eye, that the eye is either full of light or full of darkness. And then he goes on and he says, you, you can't serve two masters. Either you hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. I thought a minute about calling this lesson the myth of multitasking. Uh, multitasking is is a lie. So maybe that's, that's now a subtitle, a sub-story of this, is that we really can't multitask. We really can't do it our way and Jesus' way. You know, because when we start doing that, it drags us into this role of being an actor. It rolls us into the role of, okay, I'm not feeling happy, but I know so Jesus said I'm supposed to be happy, so I'll put on that face. We don't want to do that. There's no multitasking. Really just... But he calls us again and again to is to go back to that basic thing. You know, what you know, what do I worry about? Oh, nothing. What do I really have control over? Oh, really nothing. You know, am I really a well-rounded Christian? Well, that's impossible. You know, am I? Am I? Uh, what's my title? I forgot. Gosh. Yeah, uh, my, the myth of personal righteousness. Can I? Can I do it all on my own? Can I make this righteousness thing work on myself? No, I can go to my room and I can pray. I can give what I have to those who need it. I can love other people. That's really what I can do. That's all I got. That's all I've got. And that's all God wants. That's all your brothers and sisters. That's all we want of each other is we want to be able to have that. So just to summarize, to conclude, I think about righteousness is covenant justice. It's God made a contract for me. He, he pulled me on to his side. I'm on his side. And he's just asking, hey, Peter, don't be a hypocrite. Don't play a role. Just come to the table every day with your, your real self. Decide you're going to seek me first. Decide you're going to seek the kingdom first. Decide you're going to seek my righteousness first. And then all that other stuff that you've worried about, thought about, or concerned about, you'll get it too. You'll be figured out. You might get it here. You might get it you know, in eternity. 
And so this week, I would just encourage us to go back to that question again. What's the Holy Spirit teaching me? What does God want to reveal in me so that I can seek him first? So that I can be trained. Remember we said last time the Holy Spirit was sent to train us. That God no longer wants, but wants to be. He's not calling himself our shepherd in Psalms 23, right? But he's calling us his helper in Hebrews. That Jesus has said that we're no longer servants of our friends. I think it's going to be an exciting week. As you look around and let the Holy Spirit direct you, advise you, show you, and you can let go of that. Well, I have to do it myself. You say, I get to do it with God, with my brothers. I can be a strong aspen tree, but I'm tied in to all the others. It's going to be a great week. Look forward to sharing it with you. stand up for this last one here and uh, I handed out some lyrics earlier you were my strength when I am weak you were the treasure that I see you were my all in all seeking you as a
Church together? Yeah. Tuesday Perfect. and Wednesday? Yeah. Men on Tuesday, women on Wednesday, by Zoom, all together. Yeah. By Zoom. Because it's the beginning of the month. The first week of the month. Okay. You got that? Oh, Any questions? See Peter. Yeah. Early. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was men on Tuesday, women on Wednesday. It is. Okay. 